0: All right, good morning, everybody. Turn around and greet about five people real quick and then remain standing for prayer, please. Let's pray together, church. Father, we thank you this morning that we are yours. Because, God, we know that that fact came with a price. Separated from you. Lost in our sins. But, God, we thank you as we are moving toward Easter, as we are moving toward Good Friday, that... We're reminded that 2,000 years ago something happened that made that fact a reality. We are yours. We belong to you. We are the sons and we are the daughters of God through Jesus Christ and what he did. And so this morning, God, we are here to learn a little bit more about him. We are here to be made a little bit more like him. We are here to magnify the name of Jesus. Jesus. I praise you, God, for our worship team. I thank you for our hospitality team, our children's team. God, I thank, thank you for everybody that makes this church a reality. But unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And so, Father, I thank you this morning that you are building this house. You are building this ministry, God. You are building a people here at 1810 Old Farmer Road, Asheboro, where we come together as one. In unity and we worship you all to lift up the name of Jesus father we know time is drawing short we know he will return and God it'll be too late to witness then it'll be too late to evangelize then God everything will be locked into place so right now we have a mission that you've given us and I pray that you would help us to fulfill it I pray that we would reach new people with the name of Jesus Lord, I pray, I know that as we're working, you're working, and I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would draw people here to this place and to churches all over town, all over this state, God, all over this country, all over the world, God. I pray that you would draw your people. I know that you're doing your work, God, and I pray that you would help us to understand what a blessing it is that we get to be part of that. Give us a burden for souls. Give us a burden for the lost help us to serve you more and more father we love you we praise you thank you for meeting with us this morning it's all in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray these things and Rushwood said together amen you may be seated this morning church I want to start out with something good I don't know how perceptive you are but if you came in here today and you looked around you noticed there is a difference in this room And the difference is that we're not done with it, but we have some sound panels up. In 2003, when this room was built, there were supposed to be sound panels put in, and they never were put in. And so over the years, that's caused us some problems with our sound, some disclarity. And so uh, we ordered the panels. We started to install them yesterday. Pastor Jason uh, put together a team, and they worked yesterday to get these in. And we're going to get a lift, and we'll have some on these other walls as well. But I hope you're noticing in the sound booth, they're still working because there's a new sound dynamic in this room. So they're still working on getting all the bugs worked out. But hopefully you heard that things are clearer this morning, voices are clearer, the music is clearer, there's less disclarity. A lot of times we've had people say, oh, the music's so loud at Rushwood. And it wasn't that it was that loud. Well, maybe sometimes, but not always. A lot of times it was just the sound dynamics in this room. So uh, Pastor Jason, if you would stand and anybody that helped him yesterday with the installation of the sound panels, uh, his team, let's give them a round of applause. They did a great job. Thank you guys so much. Um, They did a great job getting those in so we would be ready for this morning and also for next week when we are blessed to have our concert that's going to be put on by the way if you haven't purchased tickets for the concert yet go ahead and get that done as pastor jason said the tickets are selling fast and we would love not to even be able to sell any at the door we'd like to sell out beforehand so go ahead we are really blessed building 429 is a national internationally known group um, they're on K-Love all the time. Sanctus Real uh, is on K-Love, and, and a lot of folks know them. And so we are just been really, really blessed and favored to be able to get these groups. And we, we want to do this, if we get the opportunities, we want to do this from time to time, not just to bless this church, but to bless Asheboro, to bless our area. So if you'll come and you'll support it, we'll be able to do these things. It supports our youth, our daily bread soup kitchen. And so uh, anyway, just please come out to that concert and... Uh, I believe God's going to bless us in that. Well, this morning, I don't want to set myself up for failure, but I just might. Because it's probably, I don't know if it's in a homiletics book or anything, a preaching book somewhere, but a pastor probably at this time of day, it says 10.56 a.m. on the clock back there, I probably should not be talking about food. I probably just set myself up for failure, because, especially not good food. Because I know if I start talking about that, all of a sudden your mind may shift to where we're eating lunch today and, and all that sort of thing. But I'm going there. I'm going to risk it this morning because I have a question I want to ask you to set up this sermon. And the question is, they jumped the gun just a little bit. Hey, but we're all right. What is your favorite meal? What is your favorite meal? I guess, I guess you already know this is probably mine. Probably like in the whole world, this is probably like my favorite meal period other than maybe like Thanksgiving. So how many of you been to Daniel Boone Inn in Boone? Okay, how many waddled out of there and hope the pastor didn't preach on gluttony the next sermon uh, next Sunday? Probably my favorite meal in the world. I mean you know if you've ever been there they bring out either the salad or if it's seasonal they bring out the soup and you might as well skip that because that's just a filler and you just skip that. It's a rookie mistake if you eat that stuff when they bring that out. And then they come out and you know it's family style, right? So you get as much as you want of all this stuff that's really bad for you but tastes really good. And so they bring out, if you see up front, you know, the, the ham biscuits. Those are the only things you can't get a refill on. So my wife always kind of smuggles those the extra ones in her pocketbook. And we take those and eat them the next morning for breakfast. And then they bring out potatoes. And not, it's not in the picture, but they bring out Salisbury steak, you know. Oh, man, the gravy's so good on that. And cor- Anybody hungry yet? Y'all just ready to go? We just go to lunch? No, we got something to do here first. Corn, and, and, and then they bring out other biscuits and jam, and just, man, it's such a, such a great meal. And then at the end, you get some sort of dessert, either a, a chocolate cake, or you get strawberry shortcake, or that sort of thing. That may be my favorite meal in the world. In fact, when I go to Daniel Boone Inn, I don't eat anything else before or after. That's my only meal for the whole day. I save up, and I save room. Awesome meal, a little bit pricey. But an awesome meal probably my favorite in the world I don't know what yours is you might have a favorite meal as well but I can guarantee you whatever your favorite meal is you never had a meal like Jesus served in the book of John you've never eaten a meal like Jesus served the day that he fed the 5,000 it's in John chapter 6 and we are continuing with our seven signs of John Seven miracles in the book of John that point to who Jesus is help us to have faith in him. And these signs also help us to understand the power that we can have in the name of Jesus. So today we're going to be talking about the feeding of the multitude, the feeding of the 5,000. We're looking at John chapter 6 verses 1 through 15. John chapter 6 verses 1 through 15 if you want to turn there with me or if you want to look that up or if you just want to look on the screen this morning. This morning I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, I love that translation. It puts it in a very understandable terms. If you're not a reader, I have a lot of times people ask me what Bible they should be reading and what Bible they should be studying out of and There are some bad translations out there, but for the most part, you ought to be studying out of a Bible that you can get and that you can understand. If you find that you can't read it and you can't understand it, it's probably not the one for you. But the New Living Translation is a great translation as far as understandability, readability. Um, My my dad reads out of that for his devotions every day, and so it's one of my favorite translations um, not as close word for word as some translations, but just very readable and very good. The main thing about Bible reading is to do it, by the way. You know, the main thing is to do it. The main, the main thing is to be in God's Word. You know, you don't have to try to read through the whole Bible in one year. or you, you don't have to do that. You just need to be in God's Word every day. So find a good translation that works for you. If you have questions, I can answer those and, uh, and, and make sure you're in God's Word every day. But John chapter 6 verses 1 through 15 tells this story. God's word says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? We'll stop there for just a second. Andrew is such an interesting character in the Bible. Jesus had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Those were his three disciples that were kind of his go-to guys. He would pull them to the side. They, he was kind of almost Jesus' executive counsel among the disciples. But Andrew, who was Peter's brother, was kind of like the fourth. Once in a while, you see Jesus pulling him in with the other three. He's almost like the the sixth man on a basketball team. He's the first one off the bench who comes in and adds things to what's going on. And so Andrew's very interesting. We don't see a lot of stories about Andrew. There's only a few times he's actually mentioned outside of just the whole group of disciples. But when we see Andrew, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. In fact, Peter would have never been a disciple from a human standpoint... Peter would have never been a disciple if it wasn't for his brother Andrew who said look we've seen the Messiah you need to come and you need to meet this guy you need to see if this is the Messiah or not and so Andrew who's not the most important disciple actually brings Peter who becomes one of the very most important disciples to Jesus here we see Andrew doing the same thing again he actually brings this young boy to Jesus Andrew is a bringer he's somebody who meets somebody and takes them to Jesus By the way, I think that we need more Andrews in the church today. We need more people who the goal of their life as they're living, and they don't have to be in full-time Christian ministry. I really think we're all in full-time Christian ministry, by the way, or we should be. But they don't have to be a paid minister or anything like that. But the goal of their life as they go through their life is to meet someone and bring them to Jesus. Meet someone and bring them. We need more people like that. And I believe that God has gifted some of you with that gift. Meeting people, bringing them to Jesus so that their life can be changed. But that's who Andrew is. Let's get back to the story in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Jesus says, Tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself may god bless the reading of his word this morning this morning i want to give you three spiritual principles i want to give you three spiritual principles that i think emerge from this text that i believe will bless you and hopefully they will increase your faith in jesus christ this morning i know it's a beautiful day i know i've already talked about food i know you know i know we've got other things to do but let's get what god has for us this morning through this text these three spiritual principles before we leave this place today, I want you to notice something first of all. These people were in the situation that they were in because they were following Jesus. They were hungry, and Jesus was even worried, it says in some of the parallel texts, that they might faint on the way back home because they had followed Jesus to where he was. They were in their situation, they were in their place of need because they were following Jesus. My friend Flip Benham always says this, it's fun to follow Jesus until you find out where he's going. It's fun to follow Jesus until you find out where he's going. And Jesus is going to a cross. Jesus is going to difficult places. Jesus is going to some places that sometimes might get you in a situation where you need God's help. And so they were in the situation they were in because they were following hard after Jesus they had followed him up to around the top of the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee is shaped a little bit like a harp okay it's a, it's a small small basically a lake or it's actually a large lake but it's called the Sea of Galilee and when you come and they actually had come up around the top to the other side as they were following Jesus and they ended up in the middle of nowhere you ever been in the middle of nowhere? Man, there's some roads around here. It's like you go to the end of the world and you take a left, right? I mean, you, 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 we, we live in the South. We've been in the middle of nowhere before, out in the sticks, as they say. That's where they were. They hadn't really thought about food. They hadn't really thought about water. They hadn't really thought about a place to sleep that night. All they thought about was, hey, there's this guy named Jesus, and we're following him. We want to see what happens. We want to see what he's up to. He's the most incredible person that anybody has ever seen. And while he's here, we want to be around him. We want to see what he's doing. We want to be up to what Jesus is up to. That's a good goal in life, by the way, to be up to what Jesus is up to. To join in whatever Jesus is I mean, maybe you could just, you know, I, I hear people talk about sometimes I got a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and a 15-year plan. I've never had one of those. You know what my plan is? Wherever Jesus leads, I'm going to follow him. That's my five-year plan and my 10-year plan and my 15-year plan and on and on. Wherever he goes, I want to follow him. And at least at this point, these people had made Jesus their priority. Now, we're going to see in John chapter 6 and verse 66, some of them change priorities. Some of them leave Jesus. Most of those following him, these crowds went away because he gave them a teaching that they could not accept. But that's a different story for a different day. But at least at this point, they had made Jesus their number one priority. And out of that priority came the provision. Out of Jesus being their priority, all of a sudden He turns around, they have a need, and Jesus provides their need. He provides for them. That's the way that God works when we're sold out to Him. When we're sold out to Him, I don't know, it, it has bothered me a lot lately. That There are Christians out there, I know that they know God's Word. I know that they know what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to behave and how they're supposed to act. But even though they have that knowledge, living out the godly life is not a priority to them. They know what they're supposed to do. I was talking to a lady this morning, and she was talking about some friends who, who haven't been in church lately, and she said, you know, they just say they're so busy. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I think it's a priority issue. Haven't been in church, haven't been reading your Bible, haven't been praying, haven't been worshiping. It's usually not anything else except your priorities have gotten mixed up. Your priorities are reversed. And then sometimes, I mean, we have Christians now who just, they're just living in open sin, man. Just let me put it right down to you. They're just living in open sin. They know that something's wrong and they're doing it and they're living it and they're not even ashamed of it. It's like the verse in the prophets that says we can't even blush anymore. We're not not ashamed of what we're doing. I don't know why we're that way, but God is not calling us there. God's calling us out of that and into a holy life. He's calling us to live righteously for him. He's calling us to live by the precepts he's teaching us in his word. So that was a little bit of an aside this morning, but not totally, because when our priorities are messed up, a lot of times the provision won't be there. But when our priorities are right, God will always provide. Not our every want, but our every need. He will always. We have found out in my family time and time again as we are trying to serve God. Sooner or later, it it may look like it's real dark before that dawn, but God comes through and he provides what we need to continue to serve him. He is a good God. He loves to provide for his children. But we have to follow hard after him. We have to serve him. We have to have our priorities right to see that come to pass. And when we're sold out to God, he blesses us in amazing ways. I have a lot of heroes of church history. By the way, church history is something we've tried to study some here. I think Christians need to know more about our history. Okay, it's almost like we've just forgotten all that's happened before us. You know, I think it's a little bit of actual arrogance on our parts when we don't know what God has done before us, what the Holy Spirit has been up to for the last couple of thousand years in the church. But one of my heroes of church history is a guy named George Mueller. George Mueller was a German-born British Christian. He was a minister, and he's probably more famous than anything else. He was a minister. He did have a church. But more than anything else, he's famous for running five orphanages in England. Five orphanages, and in his lifetime he cared for 10,014 orphans so right above 10,000 kids who didn't have a mom and dad George Mueller became their parent he became the one that was in charge of them and Mueller had this principle the principle was that he would never ask for money he would never ask for a dime from anyone to support his orphanages he would just pray and he would just trust that God would provide that was always the way he operated he never sent out letters he never ran a commercial, even though they didn't have them back then. He, he never did anything like that. He didn't put anything out on Facebook, you know, any pleas. He didn't start a GoFundMe account or anything like that. He just said, I'm going to pray, and God's going to provide. Five orphanages, 10,000 kids, and all he said, is, I'm just going to trust that God will provide for me. And so there's this story that's told. There's lots of great stories about his life. But there's this story that's told about one morning, He came downstairs in one of his orphanages, 300 kids sitting there ready for breakfast and they had nothing. They had no food to give them. The pantry was empty, the refrigerator was empty, it was all empty. There was nothing to give these 300 kids. And so the mother of that orphanage, the the orphanage mother there said to to George, What are we going to do? Pastor George, what are we going to do? We got all these kids and we have nothing to feed them. He said, Go ahead and sit them down at the table. And then we'll go ahead and we'll thank God for the food, and then God will provide. And she's like, you're crazy, man, but all right. So she sat him down at the table. George Mueller prayed, and he basically said a simple prayer. God, don't know what we're going to have to eat this morning, but we thank you for what you're about to provide for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All of a sudden, just about five minutes later, there was a knock at the door. One of his neighbors who was a friend, a Christian friend who was a baker, came and he said George I couldn't sleep at all last night God kept me up all night and he said I baked three batches of three three batches of bread because I just felt like your orphanage would need them this morning so here you go and he brought in bread for the kids that. but that's not the end of the story as they were sitting down and they were eating their bread you know bread's pretty dry without anything to drink they heard another commotion outside They ran outside and they found the milkman had run his wagon off the road and the wheel had broken right in front of the orphanage. And the milkman said to George, he said, George, it's going to take me several hours to get this fixed. I can't make my deliveries. I've got all this milk here. Would your kids like to have that? And so they brought the milk in and they had just enough for every kid in the orphanage. When our priorities are right, God will always provide. When our priorities are right, He will always provide, not all our wants, but He will always provide all our needs. So the first lesson that I think emerges from this text is these people's priority were right at that time. They were following hard after Jesus, and out of that came the miracle of provision. God gave them what they needed through Jesus. The second spiritual principle this morning. Your miracle will often come from the margins your miracle will often come from the margins. If you've been around church a lot, especially if you grew up in Sunday school or if you've been to Bible studies or anything like that, you probably realize when we say the miracle of feeding the 5,000, that's just 5,000 men. And so if each of those men had a wife with them, that immediately becomes 10,000. And they had a lot of kids back then, but let's just say they each had each family had two kids, so that would become 20,000. So they only counted the men. They did not count the women and the children in that total. Somewhere Nancy Pelosi's mad about that right now. But anyway, they only counted the men in the total. I'm sorry, I got us off track. I know, I'm sorry. Y'all, that was worse than the food thing, wasn't it? Anyway. But you know what's amazing? The miracle did not come from the counted people. The miracle came from the uncounted people. The miracle came from a young boy. They didn't even count him. When they went and got the head count, they didn't even count him in the total. He was an uncounted. He was a marginalized. He was, a, he was an unimportant, seemingly, person who was there. But the miracle came from him. By the way, I think he, I mean, he may be the one person there who didn't need a miracle. Mama had packed his lunch. He was good. I imagine I can just picture this, a little country boy, and he, he hears that Jesus is coming through, and he starts to run out the door, Mama's like, no, 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 wait. You ain't going out the door without some food. So let, I got a couple of fish here, got some barley loaves. By the way, barley loaves were, were what the bread that the poor folks ate. They were a poor man's. Type of bread at that time. So mama's like, you are not going out the door empty-handed, son. Give me that brown paper bag. Let me put those in there for you. Okay, now you can go and see this Jesus. Mama had already taken care of him. He didn't need the miracle. But yet he was there, and yet God used him for this miracle to be produced. I I want you to understand something about God. Get this today. If you don't get anything else, this might be the best thing that you can get that I'm going to say this morning. Our God delights, He loves, He enjoys, He revels in using things and people that other people think are worthless. He loves it. God loves to take something small and seemingly insignificant, God delights in using that for His glory and for His purposes. Because anybody can use something great to produce great results. But only God can use something that everybody underestimates to produce those same results. And that gives him the glory. God uses the nobodies and he uses the neglected. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, I don't know if you, you may be, I'm weird so I think like this. I've always thought my whole life, I'm a little weird. I'm a little bit different than other people. I, I know growing up, I thought a little bit different than the people I went to school with. I was just a, you know, I don't know. I'm just a little bit different. I'm just a little bit strange. I'm a little bit outside of center, you know. I, that's just how I've always thought about myself. But God decided to use me anyway. You don't have to be the cool person. You don't have to be the person that everybody looks up to. You don't have to be the person that's always in style. Or I don't know. Some of you may be like me. Sometimes I get awkward Somebody talks to me like, I, I don't know what to say. I'm sitting there thinking, what can I say to this? Well, you know, and It just gets a little bit awkward sometimes. You don't always have to be the person who has the words ready at every moment. You don't have to be that person that seems like they float through life and nothing goes wrong. God will use you anyway. doesn't matter who you are. God will use you. And I think he has a special affinity for those of us who are a little different. Those of us who are a little off-center. Those of us who aren't quite the same as everybody else. I think God loves us in a special way and especially loves to use us you say Brent can you prove that yeah I can first Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 29 brothers and sisters think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards not many of you were influential not many of you were of noble birth now God can use the wise And he can use the influential, and he can use those of noble birth. I mean, some of them were, but most of them weren't. But God, I love this verse, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the beaten and the broken down and the the off-center. He chose that to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. In other words, God uses stuff that nobody else can use. I did a sermon last year. Maybe some of you were here for it. We talked about art and the art of God. And we talked about God as a junk artist. He takes lost things. He takes broken things. He takes things that nobody would think are, are that good or that important, and he makes amazing art out of them. That's what he does for me, and that's what he does for you. God's a junk artist. Aren't you glad? I, I read the Christian poet one time who said, God has no taste, and I'm glad of that. Because if he had any good taste, he wouldn't want to use me. But he ha- doesn't have any taste. He loves us all. God's not finicky. He's not picky. He uses the lowly things to confound the wise. So this morning, if you're here and you feel like a loser today, you feel like you're no good... You feel like you're an outcast. You feel like you're on the margins. You feel like nobody loves you or cares about you. I have good news for you today. God likes nothing better, loves nothing better than to use people like you and me. So be of good cheer. Jesus likes to take things that the world despises and make amazing, wonderful things out of them. God used this little boy. This little boy was nothing special. Even his lunch wasn't Anything special. I read one commentary and they said the five loaves probably barely qualified. We wouldn't call it a loaf. We just call it a piece of bread. They were tiny little things. But God used this boy and his lunch to work this amazing miracle through Jesus Christ. And like the boy with the loaves and fishes, all you have to do, all I have to do, all you have to do, all we have to do is just give our all to him. I love that little boy. He didn't bargain, did he? He didn't bargain with Jesus. He didn't say, okay, okay, now Jesus, I'm going to keep one of those fish, and I'll keep three of the loaves you can get two, you know, because i got to have some lunch for myself, but I'll give you about half. That's not how it worked. He gave his all to Jesus. That's what God calls us to do. He doesn't want us to hold stuff back. He wants us to give Jesus our all, and then he breaks it, and he prays over it, and he multiplies it, and he uses uses it to change the entire world. That's what God does when we give him our all brings me to my last point the third spiritual principle that emerges is that your blessing will come from your brokenness your blessing will come from your brokenness you may not realize this but there are really only two miracles of Jesus that are recorded in all four Gospels one is this feeding of the 5,000 it is mentioned in all four Gospels and the other is the resurrection those are the only two that are mentioned in all four Gospels now in all four Gospels Jesus heals blind people and we're going to talk about that as we continue with this series but it's not the same person mentioned in every Gospel the only miracles that are mentioned in all four Gospels are the feeding of the 5,000 and resurrection Sunday morning but Luke's Gospel includes something about the barley loaves that John's does not we just read the account of John in the parallel account of Luke chapter 9 and verse 16 luke says this and this time i'm reading out of the niv he says taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven jesus gave thanks and broke them he broke what was already there he broke what had been offered to him he took it and he broke it and then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people look you say brent that's an insignificant detail When you're reading the Bible, there's nothing insignificant. God has it there for a reason. If it's a small detail, if it's a small thing you wonder about, God has it there to teach you something because all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. Every little detail, there's some breath, there's some life in it, there's something that we can learn from and something that we can be taught about, something that will help us grow. And the fact that Luke mentions he took these things and he broke them before he distributed them to the people, I think that's important. I need you to know this this morning. Just like those barley loaves, before Jesus can really use you, he has to break you. Some of you have been broken. The ones that are saying, Amen, y'all been broken. Y'all been through it. You get it. Before Jesus can really use you, he has to break you. Brokenness is one of the toughest parts of the Christian life. It is not easy to go through. I mean, nobody wants to be broken. Nobody wants to be crushed. Nobody wants to go through it. But before Jesus can really, really use you, he has to break you. I was talking to a friend the other week, and this friend said, You know what, Brent, I feel like I've been through enough. And I said, Amen. I feel the same way a lot of times. I feel like I have been through enough. I feel like God has let me and my family go through enough tough stuff. We're ready for sunshine. It's kind of like the weather's been lately. We've had enough rain, right? We've had enough rain. We're ready for the sunshine. We're ready for the warmer weather. We're ready to get out there and go to the parks and go to the lakes and have a good time and have some smooth sailing for a while. I feel like that in life sometimes. I've had enough rain, God. Bring on the sunshine. Bring on the clear skies. Bring on the easy days. But here's what I told my friend, and here's what I found out in my family. Me and my family have found out in our lives, God allows us to be broken over and over and over again because He wants to use us over and over and over again. And I think it's bad theology to say that God causes every bad thing that happens to you to happen to you. I don't believe that. I don't believe God is sitting up there ready, just come down on you and just, you know, sometimes He does. Sometimes He does. Sometimes you come to the point God says, I just got to bust them. I just got to bust them. But I don't think every bad thing that comes into your life is something that God has stricken you with. I think that's bad theology. But I do think everything that comes into your life that's tough and that breaks you and that you have to deal with is something he has allowed. Nothing happens to you that he doesn't allow. He's the God of the universe. He's in control. Whatever happens to you, he's allowed it. I heard somebody say it this way one time. Nothing comes into your life that hasn't passed through the hands of God first. He's allowed things to come into your life. And even if it's something that he did not necessarily intend for you, he will use that to break you and reshape you and reform you so he can use you more and more. Sometimes I feel like I'm mature in the Lord. Sometimes I feel like I've arrived and that I'm good. And it's about that time when I start to get that attitude that he allows something else to come into my life to show me I'm not as good as I think I am. He's got to break me one more time. He's got to correct me one more time. He's got to bring me back in one more time. And that's tough, y'all. When you're going through it, nobody likes to go through the process of brokenness. Nobody likes that. Nobody enjoys that. It's not an enjoyable experience. But looking back, I'm so glad that God has allowed things come into my life that have changed me. I'm, allowed that he, I'm glad that he's allowed things that have changed my direction, changed my thoughts, my attitudes, made me seek him deeper. There's even a thing the, the, the ancients used to talk about call, uh, called the, the, the dark night of the soul. It's where God intentionally draws back, and you don't feel his presence You don't feel like you're close to him. Sometimes God will intentionally draw back from you and remove the the joy of his presence because you're getting complacent. You're getting used to it. And when, when you're in that dark night of the soul, you'll seek him deeper and you'll go deeper with him. And it's tough and nobody wants to go through it. But God does these things and allows these things so that we can be broken. There are times when God wants to do something new with you. But in your spirit, you become too hard, and you're flawed, and he can't use you like you are, so he has to break you. When I was at UNCG, I, I, I was you guys know I was an art major, which that was a trip, man. Being a conservative Christian at a liberal, univers- liberal arts university in an art, you know, art department, that was kind of crazy from time to time. Sometimes I stood out like a sore thumb, but I had great opportunities to witness to people. I still remember uh, turning pottery and this guy sitting across from me, and he's like, So, you really believe like there was a talking snake in the garden, you know? Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, I really, really do. You really believe there was this big boat and this guy named, Yeah, I really do. Had great opportunities to witness to people and great opportunities to be a, try to be a light shining sometimes in the darkness. But when I was there, one of the classes I did have to take was a ceramics class, or you might call it a pottery class. And I was really good at drawing. Pretty good drawing anyway. Pretty good at drawing and painting. Those were my go-to things. Those were where I really had my artistic ability. But I was not such a great potter. That was not my thing. That was not what I was good at. And so we were using a kick wheel, and I was learning how to use the kick wheel, and I was learning how to turn pottery. And what you call it when you mess up is a flop pot. You're trying to turn a pot, but you flop it, you mess it up, and as this wheel is spinning, if, you just, you know, if you're not doing it just right, all of a sudden you'll get a little wobble. And all of a sudden, as you continue to turn it more and more, it gets bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden, if you get it bad enough, that whole thing just falls apart, you know? And so I turned some like, I just got where I was good enough that I wasn't flopping everything, you know, I could just barely get it there, but it wasn't great, it wasn't beautiful, it wasn't these wonderful pieces or anything like that. But what happens with pottery is, even if it's got a little flaw in it or whatever, you know, you might can preserve it, you might can use it, but you cut it off the wheel and you set it up and you let it dry. And when it starts to dry, the water, I mean, obviously this this isn't anything deep or anything, but the water starts to come out of the clay, it starts to dry out. And it gets to this point called leather hard, leather hard pottery, where you can carve it and you can do a few things with it, but, but really you can't do very much with it. And if there's flaws in it and if there's other problems in it, there's nothing that you can do to fix those flaws at that point. You can camouflage them or whatever, but you can't go back and you can't work it and you can't fix it when it gets to that point. The only thing you can do when it gets to that point of being leather hard pottery is if you want to use that clay again, if you think there's some value in it, you have to break it you have to basically destroy what's already been made you have to toss it in a bucket of water and let the water get back into it and then you can bring it out and you can use that clay again and you can redesign it and you can rework it but it has to be broken otherwise it's no good it either has to be broken if it's messed up or you could fire it but when you fire it it becomes permanent and so you're not going to be able to ever use that material again it's kind of the same with us sometimes as we go along and as God is working on us and God is the master of pottery. God is the master of, of, of creating something out of just the dirt. By the way, that's what we are, right? We're the dirt. We're the dust. He's the master of making something amazing out of dust and dirt. But sometimes, not through our fault, or not through his fault, but through our fault, we have something in us that, that creates a problem. Maybe there's a defect in us. Maybe there's a hard spot. If you've ever turned pottery and you get a piece of clay and, there, and there's maybe a hard spot in it or a little rock or whatever that's in it, man, that can mess up the whole thing. Maybe there's something hard in us. Maybe there's something that causes a flaw. And all of a sudden, as he's working on us, we get to a point where if we harden enough, he'll never be able to fix us. So what he has to do is he has to break us. And he has to start kind of back over again and rework us. But here's the great thing. If he's willing to break us and if he's willing to rework us, that means he sees some value in us. That means there's something good in us. That means there's something that he can use. And so I've been there in my life, and I, I hope actually that you've been there in your life where you have gotten to the point where God says, you know what, too much of a flaw, too much of a problem. I'm going to have to break this one, and I'm going to have to rework it, and I'm going to have to remake it. It's tough when we get to that point. But just like, just like the bread and the fish in this miracle, there was no way, there was absolutely no way Jesus could have performed that miracle without breaking those things and offering them up to God and distributing them. And then all of a sudden, once he did that, once the brokenness occurred, the miracle could occur. Some of you are waiting for a big breakthrough in your life. You're waiting for God to do something in your life. You've been praying for it for a long time. You've been desiring it for a long time, and it's just not happened. And I hate to tell you this morning, it may be that you're going to have to go through a period of brokenness before that happens. God's going to have to break you. He's going to have to remake you. He's going to have to reuse you. If that's happening or if that begins to happen for you, don't despair. Don't feel like God's picking on you and just being mean and ugly and nasty to you. That's, uh, that's not what it is. God sees something valuable in you, and he wants to get you to the point where you are useful to his kingdom. When I go through a period of brokenness, oftentimes I just stop and think, God, what are you about to do with me? I've, it's happened in my life so many times. I know before I came to this church, I was pastoring a smaller church and things were going well there, but I knew that God was calling me back here, and I I knew that I needed to be better than I was. I needed to be deeper than I was. I needed to be stronger in the Lord than I was. And I just prayed the prayer, God, please break me. Please reshape me. God, bring some brokenness into my life because I need to go deeper with you. And it was amazing. It was like all of a sudden things started coming into my life that were tough. Things started coming into my life I'd never dealt with before. But through all that, he shaped me into something new. And he shaped me into something that he could use. So look, if you're going through a tough time this morning, don't feel like God's just picking on you. Don't feel like God is just trying to be mean to you. God is breaking you. He's reshaping you. He's making you into something that he can use for his kingdom. Each and every one of you this morning, each and every one of you, God wants to use. And I believe he wants to use some of you in a new way, in a way that you have never been used before. And so be patient with the process. Be patient with what he's doing because he's making you into something beautiful. He's making you into something wonderful. This morning, we're not going to have an altar call. I know that we've done several weeks of altar calls in a row, and I just didn't feel led to go that way this morning. But I want to remind you above all that God is good. Amen. So let's say that louder. God is good. Amen. He's always good. And so this morning, I just thought that we could end up just by praising Him, just by worshiping Him, just by lifting your voices. We're going to talk about how unstoppable our God is. We're going to talk about that we have a God that no matter what mankind does, no matter what the nations plot, no matter what His enemies do to come against Him, you can't stop Him. The grave couldn't stop Him. The grave couldn't hold Him. He came forth victorious. All the the demons of hell could not overcome Jesus Christ. We have an unstoppable God, and the good work that he's begun in me and you, he's going to keep working it. God's going to keep working it all the way to the day of Jesus Christ. And so the good thing he started in you, that's unstoppable as well. As long as we get out of the way, for his part, he's an unstoppable God, and he is making something truly great out of me and out of you. And so this morning, I want you to stand, and we're going to sing this. I guess this is a form of an altar call. Because your worship is what you're being called to right now. Let's worship God. Let's lift our voices. Let's magnify the name of Jesus for how great and how wonderful that he is this morning. Let's worship together, church.
1: God let your glory
2: go on and on. Impossible things in your name they shall be done. Unstoppable God let your glory go on and on. Impossible things in your name they shall be
0: some praise this morning pray with me church father I pray that you would work whatever within our lives needs to be worked for you to get the glory so if God hardships need to come if that's what needs to happen and you need to allow that God we pray that that would be what happens And God, if we need some bright sunny days and we need some clear sailing and we need just favor and blessing and you need to just pour that out on us for us to do the greatest work that we can do for the kingdom, then God, we know that you are capable. And if we need a miracle, God, we know that you are capable. And so God, I just pray that you would work your will and your way in our lives. God, your perfect will would be done in us. Thank you for allowing us to meet here this morning. Thank you for allowing us to worship you. And God, I pray that you would put somebody on our hearts this week. Somebody we know that's lost. Somebody we know that doesn't know Jesus as Savior. And we would get a burden for them, and we would pray for them, and we would talk talk to them, and we would invite them to church, God, and whatever that needs to look like as well, God. We want to see your kingdom continue to grow. And we thank you that we do serve an unstoppable God in an unstoppable kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. Look, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night.